Hey, good morning, St. Mark. It's Pastor Matt. It's good to be with you this morning. I want to start with a statement that, that I hope um, rings true for you and uh, that you believe me when I say this. I love the church. I love the church. Uh, I grew up going to church. I grew up going to church every Sunday with my family. I grew up going to church every Wednesday night for confirmation. I went to youth group every week. It's where I learned to study the Bible. It's also where I received my first kiss. Long story. When I was in college, I worked at a church. I, I helped to create the worship services and, and lead the music. My home congregation is, is infused into me. It's it's a big part of, of what has made me the, the person that I am, the man that I am, the pastor that I am, and I love that fact. I love the church. I grew up running around and crawling underneath the pews. I had verses to memorize. I had Christmas pageants that I had to be a part of. I love the church. And I know that so many of you love the church as well. And yet this morning, we're starting a new conversation, a new teaching series called When Church is the Worst. Because the truth is, though the church is such a great place for so many of us, it's not true for all of us. Uh, the local church, for some, has been a place that's broken their hearts, um, that, that's burned them, that's, that's hurt them, that's, that's been a place where maybe they've not felt wanted or welcome. Just this week, I received an email from a couple uh, who lives out of state. They've connected with St. Mark online. And they, they felt led to share these words with me, talking about their own experience. This was the email I received. They said, Pastor Matt, we are filled with sadness. After 43 years at the same congregation and fighting for things to get healthier, trying to make things better, we decided two weeks ago to leave. Not to attend another church, no, we are done with all of that. Have we lost our faith in God? No. We've lost our faith in the local church. Now, I'm not saying that I agree with their decision to leave their local church. I don't, I don't think it's right to not be a part of a Christian community, but I can certainly understand their pain and empathize with their struggle because the local church, as great as it is, sometimes steps on its own feet, sometimes is its own worst enemy and gets in the way of its own mission. It hurts the people it's called to serve. It frustrates the people it's called to love. It puts up a, a giant blockade in front of the people that it's called to reach. And today, and in the coming weeks, what we're going to do is, is look at the church when it is its own worst enemy, recognize it so that we might ask for forgiveness for it, receive grace for it, but also learn from it. And it's an important conversation for us to have right now if you call St. Mark your church home because we're in the middle of getting ready to invite everybody back on campus in person to worship with us. And we're also in the middle of a season of, of great change for the sake of the mission. And conversations like this will help us understand what it means to be truly welcoming to those that we're trying to have come to church and why it is we're making some of the changes that we are. And so today, what I want to talk about is this. Uh, the church is the worst when it is cold and confusing to those on the outside. The church is the worst when it is cold and it is confusing to those who are outsiders. Uh, let me start by saying this. Every particular church has a particular culture. 
And what I mean by culture is just uh, its own unique way of doing things. That's what culture is. Any group of people have their own unique way of, of doing things and expressing themselves. That's culture. You know, businesses have their own culture. Classrooms have their own culture. Families, my family of origin, has its own unique culture. And certainly, local churches have their own culture. And it's made up of a, a bunch of different influences. It's, it's made up of the city that you're in, uh, the, the denomination that you're a part of or not a part of, and, and then also the people who fill the pews or who watch online. They have a particular way of singing. They have particular ways in which they talk about the faith. They have stories they like to tell. And, and over the course of time, lots of people that they all have in common they have a particular culture. And it's not a bad thing. It's, it's not a good thing. It's just a thing that happens. And it can be something that makes life in the local church very beautiful. And it's not unique to church today. Even the very first church, you could say the earliest version of the Christian church, had its own particular culture. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, Luke describes the proto-church, so to speak, like this. Listen to what he says, starting at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. Pause right there. Uh, this is the, the group of disciples and early followers who had just seen Jesus ascend into heaven, leaving them to live out the mission of the church. So they leave the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, and James and Andrew, and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, the, the other Judas, not the bad Judas. Yes, there were two. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. The church at this time was, as Luke says, about 120 people. We probably have more than that watching online right now. And they had a history together. Most of them were from Galilee, like the same small town. Most of them had a common Jewish background. Most of them had the same life-changing experience. They'd each seen Jesus personally and encountered him individually. They probably had inside jokes about how Peter denied Jesus uh, there were prayers from the Jewish heritage that they all knew by heart and they could recite together every time they got together. And Peter says, Luke rather says, that they loved being with one another. They were devoted to their times of prayer together. They had a particular culture. Every church does. If you grew up going to church, uh, think back to the church that you grew up in. Uh, what do you remember about that experience that was unique to that church? What were some of the idiosyncrasies that they had? Some of the unique things about life in that church? Anything come to mind? I used to be part of a church where they had this tradition where at the end of every worship service, you would hold hands, everybody in the church. This was, this was pre-COVID before hand-holding was completely outlawed. You would hold hands and, and everyone hated doing it. Like, like, to a person, no one really enjoyed it. And, and holding hands with somebody else, especially someone you don't know, is weird. You're like, does, does my hand go on the top? Does my hand go on the bottom? Do I, do, do I squeeze the hand at the end of the prayer just to be like, hey, that was fun. Let's do this again sometime. <laughs> like, like, what are the rules? And then when you have to hold a hand with somebody that you don't really know, you end up feeling like two high school students on their awkward first date at the mall. 
It's, it's terrible. No one enjoys it. And yet, at this church, when I asked them, you know, do we want to change this? They all said, no. We don't like it, but we love it. What? Because that's the, that's the way we've always done it. Every church has its own culture. And again, it's not unique to churches. Every group, every place has something that's unique and strange yet beloved. I remember my first college football game. I was uh, at the big house in Ann Arbor, home of the University of Michigan Wolverines. And to tell you how long ago this was, Tom Brady was playing quarterback. And uh, Michigan had the ball deep in enemy territory. It was third and two. And I was there with my good friend. And out of nowhere, he told me to grab my car keys. And I was like, are we, are we leaving? And so I grabbed my car keys and I look up and 110,000 people in the stadium are all shaking their keys like crazy. And I have no idea what's going on. And so I look at my friend and I say, why, why are we doing this? And he looked at me as if I was the dumbest person in that sea of 110,000 fans. And he said, because Matt, it's a key play. As though this should have been obvious. Oh, okay, right. Every place has their unique culture and their unique way of doing things. Churches, college football, everybody. And again, this is not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's just a thing. And in the local church, the, the peculiarities and particularities of that church are part of what make it beautiful. But it can become a stumbling block. It can become a stumbling block when it gets in the way of the church living out its mission. And this does happen. Uh, the particular culture of a church, as beautiful as it can be, can get in the way when those who are on the inside of the culture believe that the culture is essential to the mission. In other words, they start to think or say things like this. If people from the outside don't want to do things and express their faith just like us on the inside, then they should go somewhere else. Or you know the culture is becoming a stumbling block when those who try to become a part of it, they walk in and they say, you know what, it, it was nice, it was interesting, but, but I felt lost and no one seemed to care. That's when it becomes a stumbling block. And I guess if the church were just any other community organization, that wouldn't be so bad. I mean, if the church were just a place where messed up people got together to make friends, the fact that some people felt on the outside wouldn't be the end of the world. If it were just a place for us to gather and get some good advice, the fact that some people didn't know all the ropes and all the rules, it wouldn't be a terrible thing. But, but if the church is the place where the God of the universe gives to the world what it desperately needs and can only receive there, then our idiosyncrasies, our particularities, our peculiarities must not and cannot and should not get in the way of anyone encountering Jesus. The early church grew, to say the least, and it grew fast. It started out as a group of 120 or so, but, but seemingly overnight, it grew to a group of thousands. It grew from a group of, of, of Jerusalem-based Jews to, to Greeks and to Romans, and it grew from people with a Jewish heritage to, to pagans who'd never stepped foot in a synagogue before. And as a result, uh, the church grew and there, there were fights 
that emerged in the church as those who were on the inside tried to adapt to the presence of outsiders. And what they started to say was this, if those from the outside want to become like us on the inside of this new movement called Christianity, then they not only need to adopt our Christ, but they need to adopt our culture. And so into this, Paul sends a teaching. He he writes a letter to the church in Rome. And this is what he says, starting in chapter 3. Listen to these words. Paul says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let's break this down verse by verse, kind of line by line, because it's important. So one of the first things Paul says is this. He says, there's a righteousness apart from the law. What he means there is that the way you do things has nothing to do with what you can get from God. There's a way of being all good with God that has nothing to do with what you do even how you sing or how you pass the plate when you're gathered. Remember, we could pass the plate. Can't really do that anymore. But, but what you do and how you do it has nothing to do with the righteousness and the right relationship you get from God. And then he says, the prophets bear witness to this. In other words, God's been telling us this for a really long time. And if you're missing out on this, you've not been reading or listening closely enough. And then he says, all who believe are right with God. Not all who know how to sing the songs, not all who know to show up on time or whose kids stay quiet during the sermon. All who believe, that's it. Belief in Jesus Christ is the most important thing. And everything else about our life together is a distant, distant second. And then he says, there's no distinction. All have fallen short. Those who are on the inside and already know how all this works. Those who are on the outside and trying to climb their way in. Everybody needs the same amount of grace. Everybody needs the same truckload of grace backed up to their house and poured over them. There's no difference. And so what this means is that if all of this is true, if if the way we do things has nothing to do with how we get right with God, and everybody needs the mercy and grace of God, then nothing about our culture should get in the way of people experiencing and receiving this thing that we all need. Nothing about our culture should, should exclude anyone. If Jesus is the only way and he is needed by everybody, then our life together as a church shouldn't exclude anybody. Not a single person. So then what do we do? If, if we are called to be a church that is that is loving each other well and enjoys our time together and has a unique and beautiful history and culture, yet we're supposed to be welcoming to the outsider and not let that get in the way, what are we to do? Well, again, that's where Acts chapter 2 is instructive. This church started to grow, as I said, and as it grew, it started to reach a lot of different people. And and look and listen to what happened. Acts chapter 2, starting now at verse 8. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound of the Holy Spirit arriving, the multitude of people came together. 
And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we, each of us, in his own language, hear them? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. You get the picture. Everybody is here. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This moment is sometimes called the, the birth of the Christian church. Uh, those, those early believers, the ones we'd read about before, they are gathered in Jerusalem and they're talking about Jesus. They're preaching the message of the forgiveness of Jesus that's for everybody. And, and the world, quite literally, gathers around. People from all different backgrounds, all different cultures, all different languages, they gather around and the Spirit enables them to understand the message of Jesus. It's a miracle. Now, it's important to take note of the, the trajectory of this miracle. Uh, the Spirit didn't simply enable the outsiders to understand the language of the church. No, the Spirit enabled the church to speak the language of everybody else. Uh, when the Spirit shows up to empower people to become a part of this community, it doesn't empower people to adapt a Christian culture. It empowers people to perceive Christ it empowers the church to let everything that might get in the way, even language, get out of the way so that rather than simply adapt a culture, they might see and perceive and adapt and adopt Christ. This moment is a, is a picture and a promise. It's a picture of how God builds his church. He empowers the church to lay aside everything that might get in the way of sharing the message of Jesus and allows them to speak the language of the people. It's a promise. This is how he is and will continue to build his church. It's how he'll work through you to reach your friends and your kids and your neighbors. God's promise is that he will empower those who are his to connect with and reach those who might be and can be his. But please understand when the Spirit moves, it doesn't move to help people adapt, adapt to a Christian culture. It empowers the church to set aside anything that might get in the way so that our neighbors can perceive Christ. So now the question is, practically speaking, how does this get lived out? If we as a church and we as individual followers of Jesus, we want to be sharing Jesus with the world and not letting anything about our unique culture get in the way, what does this look like? Well, I think it looks like us holding tightly to a handful of values, things that we know must be really important to us. And these are all derived from Scripture. And the first I would say is this, uh, we have to be a people who are committed to being biblical, by, by centering our life together on the scriptures, we will know first and foremost what is scriptural about our life together and, and what is not, what's just cultural. By, by being focused on the scriptures, we'll understand that, for example, 
sharing our life together, like actually being friends and, and spending time together is something we must do. We have to do. It's part of being in Christian community. But whether we do that with potlucks on a Tuesday or Zoom calls on a Friday, that's, that's cultural and up for grabs. Second, it means that we are, how should I put this? That we are intelligible. We understand that those who are on the outside don't instinctively understand our language. You know, words like narthex or absolution or even grace. We cannot assume that our neighbors know these words and so we must be open to explaining things and teaching things and if necessary, rethinking how we talk about things. It's a commitment to being flexible. There are parts of our life together that are scriptural and commanded and parts that are not commanded. They're good, but they're not essential. They're things that we are free to be flexible with. And we must be willing to change the changeable things so that our neighbors and our kids and people that we care about might be able to see and perceive and love Jesus. It's a heart for being hospitable. Understanding that entering into a community with a culture, entering into a church is not easy. When was the last time you went to a church for the first time? If it's been a while, let me remind you, it's awful. Like, even when it goes well, it's really difficult. Like, what do you do with your kids? Where do you go? Uh, are we sitting now? Are we standing now? Are we singing now? Am I, am I sitting in your spot? Oh, I'm sorry. It's just not easy. And what believers must have is a heart of hospitality that says, we will make this difficult experience as, as easy and warm and welcoming and, and, and as intuitive as we possibly can. Lastly, it's a commitment to being cultural. The, the Christian church will and, and should always be peculiar. What we do when we're gathered, who God has made us to be, is otherworldly for sure. And yet, we must make a commitment to take things from this world that everybody knows and everyone can connect with and, and take them from their captivity to the world and use them in service to the maker of the world. Whenever we, whenever we adapt a style or we, we sing a different type of song or we utilize some technology, we're making the already huge gap that an outsider has to cross in order to become a part of our community a little smaller by bringing in a common touch point. And we're being faithful to what it means to be followers of Jesus. We here at St. Mark, we're, we're part of uh, the Lutheran tradition. And, and there's a lot of talk about what it means to, to do faithful Lutheran practice. A lot of talk. And, and, and here's what I want to make clear. I, I believe that, that faithful practice changes. Practice changes. But what should not change is your adherence to the principle. And there is a principle at work in our Lutheran heritage, in our Reformation identity. And the principle is this, it's cultural redemption. At the heart of the movement that brought us to this moment today is a desire to take technology and, and music that the rest of the world is utilizing and use it to serve our God and spread his message. 
It's what drove us to take the, the printing press and, and put the Bible in common language. It's what drove us to take the German language and put it into the church service. No one had ever done that. It's what drove us to take bar tunes and turn them into church hymns. No one had done that. This is who we are. We take the things of the world, of the culture, and we free them from their captivity to the world and use them in service of the maker of the world so that we might create a bridge to those who belong to the world to walk across and belong to us. The, the church is the worst when it says to the world, look, you can belong so long as you behave like us and you figure it out. But the church is at its best when it says to their children, to their neighbor, to their coworker, I will be biblical, intelligible, flexible, hospitable, and cultural for you. That's the church at its best. Let me close with this story. When I was in college, I invited, <clears throat> I invited my two best friends at the time to come to church with me, uh, Bill and Amir. Uh, Bill was an outspoken atheist, although he did play Jesus in our production of Godspell at University of Michigan that year. And Amir is a, a very committed uh, Muslim. Uh, but both were, were, were dear friends of mine. And so I invited them to church. And much to my surprise, they showed up. Despite the fact that Bill once told me he would never walk through the doors of my church because he would, quote, burst into flames. He did not. <laughs> they showed up and suddenly it was, as though, it was as though I could see the whole experience that I was so familiar with, that I, that I loved dearly, that I had grown up with. I could suddenly see it through their eyes. As I watched them walk in and try to navigate the church and try to figure out where to go and, and what to do and, and how to follow along, all of it was foreign to them. None of it made sense to them. Uh, they, they didn't know what to do in church. They didn't know where to go. The insider language really didn't mean anything to them. And because we were all studying the arts, the lack of quality, the lack of quality really got in the way for them. And suddenly it hit me, like, if I want my friends who I care for so deeply to perceive Jesus, who loves them and me so greatly, they're going to have to wade their way through all of this other stuff. They're going to have to navigate it and figure it out and learn it. And it was just getting in the way. It was beautiful. It was good. But it was, it was getting in the way. It was getting in the way because though I had invited them, once they arrived, Unbeknownst to me, I'd put the entire burden on them to understand, to belong, to discern, to, to navigate it, to figure it out. And, and they, they just couldn't. Or they, or they wouldn't. Because what I know is that they, they didn't. They attended and they were very nice. And then we never talked about it again. The church is incredible. It's the greatest gift apart from Jesus himself that God has given to the world. And yet the church can step on our own toes. The church can, can be its own worst enemy. But I want the world to love our church 
There is so much to love about it. Let us help the world love the church. Because when the world can love and be welcomed by and have a warm experience with the church, God says it has the opportunity to be welcomed by and have a warm experience with his son. And that's what matters most. More on this next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for for utilizing your spirit to empower us to reach our friends and our neighbors. Uh, We we confess that that this local church that we love so much sometimes can get in its own way uh, because we create such a unique and particular community. It can be hard for other people to break in, but we pray that you'd give us eyes that see, see this experience through the lens of others, uh, a heart that's soft for the experience of others, and help us to bear the burden of what it takes to reach others and for them to belong. Help us to see those in our life who need to know you, Soften our hearts to them. Give us a desire to reach out to them. And then empower us as individuals in our workplace, in our home, on our block, and collectively as a church to do whatever it takes to make the message of Jesus discernible and welcoming and as connected to the life that our friend is living as possible. For your glory and their good. Amen.